Thank you, Meg and worship team. The worship team will be out a little bit later to lead us in a reflective, uh, prayerful song. It's good to be with you. Happy Father's Day. And uh, yesterday, our daughter came home, and we took a, uh, a bicycle ride out in the country. It was just such a wonderful time, rather windy. But along the way, I, th- I thought, I'll try this out. Would you like to hear my dad joke? And so I told her my dad joke. Would you like to hear it? Yes, thank you. I'll tell you. Why did the bicycle refuse to move? Because it was too tired. And that's, now you know why Joe and Eric refused to put me on the video, because I would have won, hands down, I'm sure. Last night we were at dinner, and our daughter asked me, what are, what are some things you've learned as being a dad over, over the years? And uh, nothing new to any of us, and it was what I was going to share with you anyway. It's just the, the importance of maintaining relationships, which requires communication, doesn't it? Defining, redefining relationships, assessing, evaluating all along the way so we can get better in our relationships. But it's not just in the home. It's, it's on a sports team. You know, players on the field need to be talking with one another. You know, you cover that, I got this. And, or in the workplace, you know, an employer needs to understand what the employees do. The employees need to understand what each other do and what the employer does and so on. In friendships, you need open lines of communication to help each other along in life. Uh, when a young adult... Uh, when a young woman, young man starts seeing each other, they, it's, it, I think they call it now a DTR, a define the relationship moment. My wife and I have been married almost 36 years, and boy, one thing we know is true. We need to continually define and redefine where we are in a relationship, assess, evaluate, and move forward. That's what relationships take, good communication. Well, we've reached a point in the book of Revelation, uh, chapters 2 and 3. We'll go back. There we go. To chapters 2 and 3. And in these, in these chapters, Jesus communicates to his church. And what we're going to look at are just, just a few of the selections of uh, the seven churches Jesus wrote to. Now, these seven churches, individual churches, each got a letter from Jesus. They're located in what's called Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Um, and it'd be easy to think These letters are just meant for those churches. Really, these letters are meant for every church of every age, including the chapel. And as we go through these letters, generally, uh, these elements are found in the letters. Jesus recognizing what the church has gotten right. The idea of rebuke. Let me just take a moment on that word. This seems like such a harsh word, and it is. It means correcting or admonishing, Um, but it's meant to be out of love, not to hurt, but to help, uh, helping the church understand what it has gotten wrong, and then we'll arrive at the actual remedy. Perhaps you remember from last week, as John has this vision, um, he sees lampstands, and these lampstands symbolize the church, And, and they symbolize the church because the church is to be a reflection of God's light to a dark and desperate and needy world. And that's a really important concept to understand because who we are on the inside as a church is going to matter to those outside looking at us. Will they see Jesus or not? Will they be, see the light of God reflected or not? And that's not just true as a, uh, for us as a church, the chapel. It's true for us as individuals. When uh, What's on the inside of us matters because those on the outside looking at me Will they see Jesus or not? 
that's important. So let's get on with uh, the idea of recognizing what the churches had done right. Dads, you know, parents, you know that one of the cardinal rules of parenting is to catch your kids doing something right, and then you recognize it and you celebrate it. Some of you I know are, are uh, or have been uh, coaches on sports teams. You know one of the keys is to, is to catch your players doing something right, recognize it, and celebrate it. Employers, supervisors, catch your employees doing something right, recognize it, and celebrate it. That's what Jesus does. Now, uh, in all but one of the letters, Jesus catches them doing something right. The very last letter, that's the last one we'll look at. Jesus catches them doing something right, and he celebrates that. The letter we're going to look at is, is the letter to Thyatira. It's a, a rather insignificant city, but it's one of the cities, one of the, one of the churches that received a letter from Jesus. And actually, it's the longest letter. Jesus has some hard things to say to them as well, but this is what he says to Thyatira at the beginning. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Angel is a symbolic word for the messenger, of the, the pastor of the church. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen you love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Let's just leave this up here for a moment. That very last line, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Isn't that a wonderful line? But, but, but what are all these things? Well, their, their ability to love, to love God, and, and, our, and their ability to love God is reflected in their loving of each other. Uh, your faith, your trust in Jesus, your service, you're finding ways to help each other along the way in their spiritual journeys because it was a difficult time for all of them. They were going through tribulation and persecution as all the churches in that area were. Your patient endurance, you have an understanding. There is an end point and you want to finish well. That's what he says to Thyatira. And I think, what would, what would Jesus say to our church, to the chapel today? I don't know exactly, but I think some of the things that he said to Thyatira would be true for here. Many of you in this room I, have helped the church become what it is today. You have learned to really love each other. Thank you for that. Years ago, I learned a great little definition for love. It is righteous action designed to meet the needs of another. You'll notice in that definition, there's nothing about emotion. There's nothing about feelings. It's a choice. It's a determination to help somebody along, to love them, to just practically love them. Thank you for doing that, for finding ways to love each other, to serve each other. I think Jesus would look at this church and recognize that many of you in the room are going through a physical pain or you have suffered a physical loss. You're going through emotional pain, or you have suffered an emotional loss, and we could go on and on. We all go through hardships in life, but what you are learning is what we learned as we went through the book of, uh, of um, Ruth. Do you remember that? The, 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 one, of the, one of the principles we learned, one of the underlying principles, is that God's providence is at work. Providence doesn't mean simply that God sees everything. It means that he will see to it that his will is accomplished in your life. And even though things are hard right now, you understand that God is at work behind the scenes. He sees what you don't. He knows what you don't, and yet you stay faithful to him. God's providence. I think he would look at many of us in the room, and, and uh, especially those of us who are getting on in our years, 
If there's one thing that Revelation teaches is that there is an end point. World history as we know it will come to an end and we want to finish well. (laughs) So well done, chapel. I'm sure there are other things we could mention as well. So those are, the, those are the good words for Thyatira, what they're doing right. Now Jesus goes on to share a lot of things with Thyatira that they, they need to work on. But isn't that true for all of us? We're all in the middle of our spiritual journeys and we come to a point where we need to hear some hard words. And that comes in the way of rebuke, correction, and admonition. We all need that. Uh, one of my favorite Proverbs in the book of Proverbs and I've shared it before, is this one. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. If you are my friend, if you are really my friend, you will not hide your love for me. You will show your love for me by showing me what I am not doing right. You're helping me. The, the very next uh, verse right after this one says that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. You want to really be my friend, then wound me, because that will help me. That happens in every arena of life, and dads, you know this to be true, that you you need to rebuke your child, correct your child, admonish your child, reprove your child to help them avoid a, a harmful, destructive path down the road. Friends, you have to do the same thing. That's an act of love. That's what a rebuke is. And so at the very end of these letters, in the letter to Laodicea, we'll get to that in a little while, Jesus says this, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Now what we're going to look at in just a moment is the very first letter in the line of seven. And it's the letter to the church in Ephesus. Do you recognize that name? Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians. Now, it's hard to overstate how significant Ephesus was. This was a busy, busy seaport in modern-day Turkey. Um, It's where Paul visited. It's the the place to which Paul sent a letter. It's where the, the temple of Artemis was, one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world was. It was a huge city, and so this church was of no um, insignificance. It was prominent. Today we use the term megachurch. It would have been the megachurch of megachurches in that day. But here's the thing. You can can appear one way on the outside as a church, but be completely different on the inside. Well, we know that as individuals too. We can appear one way on the outside, but be very different on the inside. And so these are the, the words of rebuke to to the church in Ephesus. It goes like this. But, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now the first part in yellow, verse 4, years ago in a different Bible version, I learned it in these words. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And the, the, the imagery here is of a, a, a young couple who are passionately in love and they're doing all the things that makes a relationship work. And, and it, but as time goes on, they lose interest in, in each other and boredom and apathy sets in. And what Jesus is saying here, there was a time 
where you put energy into your relationship with me. There was a time when you really sought me. There was a time when you really invested in our time together. But I can see, I can see you have left your first love. Apathy and boredom have set in. And so if Jesus were writing this church, could he say, boredom and apathy has set in? Or if he was writing you an individual letter, and me, could he say, boredom and apathy has set in? Now, there's different reasons why, why boredom and apathy can set in. I'm going to throw several ideas up on the screen. I know there are more than these, but these are a few of them we can simply consider. And the first one is this, the, the duty of religion. Some of you in this room were raised in the church where they taught the gospel of Jesus. You learned about Jesus at an early age, and in an early age, you asked Jesus to be your Savior. You became a Christian. But over time, the yawns began to set in. And then it just became a matter of going through the motions. And religion supplanted relationship. Supplanted relationship. The other day I was in a conversation with somebody who grew up in a church where the church was just known for, its, it was a particular denomination, rules and regulations and rituals and all of that. And then at a point in his life, somebody shared the message of Jesus with him and he became a Christian. He was so excited to be a believer, a follower of Christ. But you know, old habits die hard. And he got involved in the church and after a while, the the memories of all those rituals and regulations and rules which seem so attractive, religion can seem so attractive at times, it kind of overtook him. And instead of, instead of just meditating on the, the finished work of Christ and, and, and meditating on the, on the unconditional love of God for him, religion supplanted the relationship. You need to be careful. It can lead to boredom and apathy. Here's, a, here's another thing that can happen, the, the allure of our culture. I was thinking uh, about how the, book, the, the, the entire Bible, but especially the book of Proverbs, really speaks of two paths in life. There's the path of wisdom, that's going God's way, and there's the path of folly, that's going another way. There's also the middle path, by the way, and the middle path, if you take that, by default you end up on the path of folly. And what do we find on the path of folly? We find the allure of culture. What do I mean by the allure of culture? Well, it could be a number of things. Uh, one of the things the allure of culture could be is that all of a sudden, what I possess and the power and influence I have in my community and my prestige, all of this, my position, all of, now this is what matters. We also find on the path of folly that, that my identity now is wrapped up in in the approval of others and what people think of me. We also find on the path of folly the, the allure that, uh, that my external appearance is more important than my internal character and integrity. And all of these things on this path of folly lead us farther and farther away from love for Jesus, and it builds into us an apathy and a boredom. Uh, there's a third one. Uh, the toxicity of self. 
this probably doesn't need any explanation. But I was thinking about in Luke chapter 9, where, where Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, he needs to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But what does it look like to follow Jesus? You can't, you can't read scripture. You can't think about Jesus without understanding that he gave himself to others. In a sense, we, when we give ourselves to others, we, we find ourselves, and we certainly find God. But if we just live for self, guaranteed, if we aren't looking for ways to serve others, apathy and boredom will set in. That's what happens. Now, this is, this is where all this takes us. Apathy and boredom. When we leave our first love, this is what Jesus says to, to Ephesus. I will remove my lampstand from your midst. That's what he says. I will remove my lampstand from your midst. What does that mean? It doesn't mean they will stop being a church. It doesn't mean that they will stop being individual Christians. But what it does mean is they will stop as a church being a reflection of God's light into the world. And that's a danger for us as a church. We would never want to stop being a lampstand for Christ. That is, we would never want to stop having, making an impact in the world or on our community. And certainly you as individuals, your neighbors look to you, your coworkers look to you, your teammates look to you, your, school, your schoolmates look to you. People on the outside looking at us, do they say Jesus or not? Now, now, let me continue with the, with the rebuke idea. And we just finished with Ephesus. Let me go all the way to the end, the seventh letter, which is to the church in Laodicea. And this is how it goes. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I, 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 I want, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow, what strong words. What, is, what does Jesus mean by that? You are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm water. Ugh, spit you out of my mouth. Well, let me take you to a map to help us understand, I think, what Jesus is saying. So if you look at the, at the circled part there, and I know it's hard to see in the back. I apologize. But in the middle is the, is the city of Laodicea. That's where this church is. And to, north, to the north is, is the town, the city of Hierapolis. And in Hierapolis, there were the hot springs that you could go to for, for therapy. And to the south is the, is the city of Colossae. Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. That's where Colossae is. And in Colossae, there were the cold waters the cold water springs for refreshment. Ian Paul, in his commentary, brings it all together with these words. Hot water is good for something, healing and therapy. Cold water is good for something, cooling and refreshing. Lukewarm water is good for nothing. It would make the drinker want to spit it out. It was not the same. It was not the state of their faith that Jesus was criticizing, but the lack of the fruit in their lives. Maybe you know the, the letter that James wrote. And in that letter, it's so well known for this. That you may say you have faith, 
But if your faith is not reflected in good works and good deeds, it could be your faith is just plain dead. (laughs) If your life does not exhibit in some way the, the, the hot therapeutic waters of the gospel, if your life does not in some way reflect the the, the, the cold, refreshing water of Christ, then maybe you're somewhere in the middle and just lukewarm. You know, it, it's possible to know the Bible inside out. It's possible to have been raised in church all our lives. It's possible to have a Ph.D. in Greek, a Ph.D. in Hebrew, and maybe a Ph.D. in Aramaic and know the Bible inside out. but not be known for our good works. And so this is a hard question for us as a church. It's a hard question for us as individuals. What do, Jesus, what do people see when they see? Do they see a bunch of knowledge? They see me going to church, but, but is it reflected in the good works of the gospel? Hot, cold, or somewhere in between. Now, Jesus has hard words to say to these churches. Laodicea, he doesn't say anything good. But even in his rebuke, there's a picture of love because he wants them to get better. But how do we get better? Where where is the remedy in all of this? And that's where Jesus takes us next. Let Let me read these words to you. This is what he says to Laodicea. Look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. I read these words, I read the letter to Laodicea, I read the, I read the letters to the other, the, the hard things that Jesus said to them, and you know what I, I can easily think is, man, I'm glad we're not like those churches. It's easy to think that. It's easy to compare ourselves to others and think we're doing so well. Just yesterday morning, it was so interesting that it came up at this time, but I was reading a newsletter from Christianity Today, which is one of the foremost thinking magazines, Christian magazines, Christian Think Magazines there is. And the title of the newsletter, no kidding, was this, The Church in America is a Mess. (laughs) That's what it said. And you think, well, no, it's not. Look, we're doing fine. No, the church in America has a problem. Not every church, but many churches. I'll tell you, in so many churches, there is a prideful, unrepentant kind of leadership that's going on. In too many churches. I read a newsletter that came out from a church recently, and it simply started with, our church is in crisis. (laughs) And it is because of that. There are many churches who have decided they're going to preach Jesus plus this, plus this, plus this. There are many churches who have retreated from the true gospel Instead of talking about Christ and the cross, what they've decided to do, we're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about masks and no masks. We're going to talk about vaccines and no vaccines. We're going to talk about global warming. We're going to talk, and just on and on and on. There's a church where 
We're called to teach the gospel. I've shared this before, but I'm aware of a church in London, England, where many churches have closed down over the years. But this church, as they closed down, they tacked on the front door, gone out of business, forgot what our business was. (laughs) And I ask you, what is our business as a church? What is your business as a Christian? Our business is to stay in love with Jesus, to remain hot and cold, and not lukewarm. But how do we do that? What happens when we sense ourselves as a church drifting away from the gospel? What happens when we sense ourselves individually? We feel like we've, we've gone too far from God. Things we've done, things we've thought, things we've said. We think we've dug a hole too deep. And God could never reach me there. And this is why I love these words of Jesus. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Do you know there is, there is no church that is too far or too deep? There is no Christian who is too far or too deep where Jesus is not knocking and saying, I want to come in. Just, just open the door. Just let me back into your life. And I will come in. And when he says, I'll have a meal with you, that, 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 is a, that is a picture of intimate fellowship. Now that is what God's willing to do. But we have our role. And our role is to open the door. In just a moment, we're going to sing a reflective, prayerful song. Fall afresh. Holy Spirit, do something new in my life. And this is a prayer for each one of us. It's a prayer for our church. And as we sing it, just Make it your own prayer. Think about the words and allow it to penetrate deep within. Pray for your church. Pray for the chapel. Let's pray for ourselves too. That we would be in love with Christ. That we would be hot and cold. May God bless you.